Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Jock Mailbag. My name is Damo, and joining me again is Clarky. How are you, Clarky? Very good. I got to see live football, Melbourne at 4-0 for the first time since 1994. Everything's going well for me right now. That is awesome. And we have been asked a lot of questions this week, which is also awesome. So thank you to everyone who has asked us a question. If your question doesn't get answered on this podcast specifically, we are sorry we had to cut it down for time constraint reasons. We love you. Thank you so much for listening and sending us questions. Send us more questions because we got another one next week. And next week we also have another demo, but the one from Supercoach Edge joining us as a special guest. Jock Mailbag, two demos edition. Clarky is going to be outnumbered. Anyway, we'll get to the first question. <laughs> this one comes... Most of the question comes from Paul, but others were asking very similar questions. Are players like Braden Campbell and James Jordan, who have probably reached their peak, ready to be traded? Or should I focus on trading out underperforming rookies like Tanner Bruin or Tyler Brockman first? Well, Tanner Bruin got dropped after round two, so he's probably the one to move on first, especially if you're trading in someone on the bubble who's going to make you money as soon as you trade them in. But Braden Campbell and James Jordan haven't finished making money. Braden Campbell has a high break even this week because of the 29 that's in his rolling average. But he won't peak until about round 18, 19. James Jordan is the same. Tyler Brockman, though, he peaks in about three weeks. So of the two specifically mentioned, Tanner Bruin is probably the one I'd move first. Tyler Brockman is the one I'd probably move on second. Yep, definitely agree with that. Um, Damo, you did the, you've had a look at all the stats. So uh, just to be clear, that means Tyler Brockman peaking is based on his current average. If he continues to score that, he will peak first. Tanner Bruin is not playing. If you need to get rid of somebody, get rid of him. Focus on someone like him. Bring in someone who's going to be economical for you. And so I guess this goes on from this question. Richard asks, is Alec Waterman a must-have? If so, which rookie do you think has made all they're going to and is the best one to move on to get him? Well, if you don't have a non-playing rookie, I guess Tyler Brockman is the one to move on because you're only going to miss out on 30K. Yeah, uh, Alec Waterman, for me personally, uh, he's going to be a bit of a slow burn, but he is the he will be a priority if you need to cash someone out for the maximum value because he's only 102k. So that's just, that's maths. That's the bottom price. So as far as you need to go from what we were saying before, if you don't have a non-playing rookie or somebody who's not firing, um, Brockman would be the one to go because he has the least to gain at his current average. Yeah. And Another question regarding a very popular rookie who has performed really well to start the season. Michael asks, is it too late to grab Chad Warner? He's asking specifically as a as an Isaac Heaney replacement. I think as an Isaac Heaney replacement, he's probably a really good selection because I think Chad Warner will benefit from Heaney's absence. Um, 
if you're not replacing an injured player like a Butters or a Heaney or someone like that, I actually do think it could be too late to grab Chad Warner. But in saying that, if you do grab him, he is going to still continue to make money. Yeah, I think um, I yeah we've we've been on the same page for these first couple of questions, which is usually a good shout. Um, Warner as a Heaney replacement, really good. Warner, you've kind of probably missed the boat on the majority of his cash generation, unless he pumps his average up like you know, another ten points or so. Um, so maybe if you don't have one, probably another one could be to consider as a Heaney replacement. Jarman Nimby. Um, but, you know, that being said, Warner from Heaney, you make some cash. You're going to generate a little bit more cash. And let's face it, Chad Warner's scoring quite well. Got a question from Brandon on Twitter. Who is the most underrated super coach player worth targeting? Now, he doesn't specify what underrated means. He doesn't. He's not saying whether that means ownership or if that means um, average or players that we're talking about. I'm not sure. Uh, if we're going to go by ownership, Mitch Duncan is only owned by 776 teams. No one would have started with him, I think because he started the season injured. But then you've also got the likes of Noah Anderson, who had a really poor start to the year, but has started to raise his average a bit. And then you've also got the likes of Jared Lyons, who is yet to go below 100 points. Yeah, Jared Lyons is probably, if we're talking underrated, is under-selected or kind of flying under the radar. Jared Lyons is probably one of the first that jumps out at me. Um He's, he's a very good guy uh, in the supercoach field and on the football field. Um, and he's pretty much around that top 10 mark anyway for the midfielders. Um, but I mean, if you look at guys that sort of come from the heavens as well, um, Took Miller, I think is probably another one, uh, another another Gold Coast son who kind of flies under the radar and very low pick. I think he's in 500, 500 or so teams at the moment. And that's because he's a bit of a roller coaster, but he can pump out like massive scores of like 130 plus quite easily when he's on a roll. Clarky, you've got Josh Kelly. I do. Tom has asked via the email, what should I do with Josh Kelly? Okay, so Tom, what you're going to want to do, uh, so step one, grab the nearest cushion, pillow, uh, soft animal, whatever you got, place it up against your mouth and just scream. Um, scream as loud as you feel is necessary without doing damage to yourself. Um, that's usually the first step of owning Josh Kelly at the moment. Um, what to do with him? So I have, this is probably my, personally for my team, Biggest question of the week. Uh, I have the money to move him up or there are options to take him down, really. You know, you could go down to a, you know, possibly a Taranto, Noah Anderson, anyone who is scoring over 100 points. Because the issue with Josh Kelly is not that he's injured, which is what most people would have thought at the start of the year, but it's that he is not, he's an inside mid who plays on the half forward flank and as a forward. Josh Kelly is currently playing as a forward, which is basically Supercoach Jail. Uh, he 
is also averaging 90. Can we specify Supercoach Jail for a midfielder? Supercoach Jail for a midfielder. Sorry. Yeah, that's... If he was a forward, 90 is good. That's kind of where we want him to be. I could keep him as F5, F6, no problem. Um, But he is averaging 90. Is that worth a trade? I could bring in Jack Steele. I have brought in Jack Steele. I have taken, I've reversed my changes and then taken out Jack Steele. I personally am holding the trade because ultimately I can't justify if he is averaging 90, but has the potential to ton up and a little bit more. He's not the biggest problem and it's not worth using the trade. Especially if you haven't used a lot, if you haven't used a lot of trades, you can justify it a little bit more, but it's, it's kind of, you could still wait and see because he could turn it around. Leon Cameron could come to his senses and play him in the mid as early as next week or in a couple of weeks. Um, it's it's a really hard one. Personally, I think if if you can, you should stick it out a little bit longer um, because it's it's kind of, it's a different boat to Lockie Neal where you paid top dollar for this guy. You paid a little bit more for Josh Kelly. But really, if he bottoms out with a 90 average, that's not the end of the universe. You can still work around it. I'm glad you mentioned Lockie Neal because Nathan has asked if it's too late to trade him. No. Because Lockie Neal has an injury that we know nothing about. And, um, you know, obviously, football-wise... Lockie Neal, please get well. You are an absolute gun footballer and I want you to be doing your best. From a super coach perspective, you don't want someone who's playing with an injury who has the potential to just be a late out. And I guess Richard asks the next question. Should you make some cash from Neil by moving him into an MP or a Jath type? Or should you move him to a top line primo? I would personally say you want to go like for like and move him into somebody who is a keeper primo for your midfield. Here is the way I see it. You started him with the idea that he was going to carry your midfield, be your midfield one position all year, be a set and forget captain if you really wanted to, but you haven't got it. So now you need to move him on to someone who's, not quite got to fill that role, but it, someone is going to average quite healthily for your team. So you, I know he's lost a lot of cash, but there are some players around that 550k mark that Neil is now sitting at, which you could move him to. Uh, Tom Mitchell comes to mind. He's only an extra 30k. And then you've got the likes of Mitch Duncan, who seems to be doing quite well with the new rules. Um, and has just come back for Geelong. Reese has asked us to look into our crystal ball. Is Dan Houston going to be a top six to eight defender? If he keeps scoring the way he currently is, yes. But I don't. Inter- interesting. I mean, if he can current, if he can keep going, I think he's going to have ups and downs, and I think he could probably be six to eight. I, I'm not going to bring him in hoping that, though. If he keeps scoring the way he is, my answer is no, but he's going to become very close. He's, his scoring is fluctuating, 
His lower score is only an 83, though. So that might save him, in a sense, to, to sit in that 6-8 to eight territory. But I think this year there's going to be better scoring in the defense thanks to the new rules. And I think if Dan Houston has a few games where he can only string together his 80s or 90s, then he's going to be left behind. So my answer is, based on what I've seen to begin with, no. Only because of his rollercoaster scoring. Obviously, Clarky, you sit in the camp of yes, though. I no, no, I, okay, I sit in the camp of yes, but it's it's kind of it's pretty much what you were saying. Where it's, I mean, it's round. Look, it's round four. I think it's way too early to call who's going to be six to eight because, yeah, you know what? If he averages one hundred and twelve for the rest of the year, he's probably going to be like six to eight. Like you know, that's just real. Um, but as like I think the the crux of what I was trying to get across is I'm not bringing him in to be six to eight purely for what you were saying. If, if that makes better sense, he's a roller coaster. I, there are better people who are more consistent and that's where your money should be spent. And similar question from Richard. Will Adam Trelaw be a top premium? No, not as a mid. He's, we've already seen him moved around in these four games. Again, for the dogs, it, it seems like he's, more playing more of a mid half forward ring wing sort of role, attending one, two, th- maybe three center bounces at a time in, in each games. He's started to attend a little more as the season progresses, but I think he's mostly going to be deployed on that wing for the Western Bulldogs. And so my answer is no. Yeah, look, I can see him maybe hitting that under mark, but it's another one that's a roller coaster. He's kind of filling into that, yeah, that wing role and doing what's needed rather than being like a hardcore mid, like a Jack McRae or a Bond. You know, they're they're always going to be, and I would say even that they're always going to be ahead of him with the role that he's currently playing at the Dogs. Yeah, he's actually done really well on that wing role, which is surprising, but it's sort of how Mitch Robinson was Mitch Robinson got his rebirth at Brisbane. Mitch Robinson plays that wing role and does it really well actually. And he started his career as an inside mid at Carlton and was sort of a bit like Trelaw in the fact that he butchered the football way too much. Next question is a nice quick and easy one. Can Lloyd Meek force his way back in once Lobb returns to the Frio side? So Rory Lobb is due back either this week or next week. So Lloyd Meek's job security is looking very shaky. And if Lobb stays fit, I'm sorry, Lloyd Meek will be playing for Peel. Sad to hear. You hate to say it. Mia has asked us a question about trades. How many trades should you have used to this point in the season? Rookies are dropping off. She's concerned about cash flow. So there is not really a right or a wrong answer because every team is going to go through different stuff. Um, I I did see this email as well. Um, and Mia, uh, I think, was in a, is has been in a similar position to myself where I've used five trades. Um, yeah, five, I've pretty much used two every round through either injury necessity or 
correction. And that's okay because it's round four and it's a long game. You you don't want to be using trades unnecessarily, but if you have an injured player that you can't hold, you can't just hold the trade because you're going to have to use it at some point. Yeah, I'm sort of I'm sort of in a similar sort of boat to you. And the thing that I would say to, to Mayer is make a plan. Look at your team and look at the rookies that you want to replace on your field with better performing premiums. So every rookie usually is two trades to upgrade. So look at your team and look at six, eight, nine. If it's nine rookies you need to replace, then you need 18 trades. If you've already replaced players through injury, that is not a wasted trade. That is a trade that would you would have had to use later in the season. Now, it is early in the season, so you'll need to prepare for the fact that there might be tra- that, that there might be trades needing to be used earlier in the season and than usual or later in the season or middle of the season that you wouldn't usually have thought to use. So I guess my answer is there is no right or wrong answer to how many trades you should have used. But I would now put in a place of how you're going to use your remaining trades. If cash flow is is what you're worried about and your rookies have started to drop off, then maybe you need to use one, two, maybe three trades. I wouldn't use more than three trades to replace the rookies who have dried up a bit and bring in a new renewed cash flow in other rookies that are on the bubble. Yeah, definitely agreed. And especially, I mean, let, let think about it. There's going to be one team out there. Like statistically, there's got to be one team that has had an injury every week, whether they had Danger, Matt Rowe, Taylor Adams, Stephen May, Jai, Cal- Jai Caldwell, like Zach, Zach Butters. Zach Butters, like it, it, it happens, and it's just about how you use it. So it's not a wasted trade to use that if it's forced. I had to trade out Stephen May this week. I made the decision to trade Stephen May to Jarman Impey because that's still somebody who, at the rate that he's scoring, I see Impey as somebody who could probably stay in my F5 or 6 slot. So I'm not going to have to use another trade to get rid of him unless he gets injured, which was the idea I had for Stephen May. So I've only used one trade there and still corrected. I still will have to upgrade somewhere, but it wasn't wasted. It's about how you use it. Yeah, and I guess what Clarkie is saying is make sure when you use your trades, you are improving your scoring position. So you don't want to trade someone who's averaging 60 to who's not playing to someone who's averaging 40 just so you can keep $40,000 in your cap. If possible, you want to move that player that's averaging 60 and you want to bring in someone that's averaging 70 or 80 or 90 as best you can. If that means using two trades to go one up, one down... And instead of getting 120 points from two players that are averaging 60, you get 150 points from from one player that's averaging 90 and another player that's averaging 70. That's 160. I can't count anyway. Then you've you've improved your team's scoring position. Yeah. 
I think we've talked about this yeah. way too much. Look, Mia, I hope that helps. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry if that's confusing. It is, it is difficult and people will place different values on their own trades. So, look, if you want, reach out if you have any more questions. We're happy to answer them. We have a whole podcast for it. Last question of the day. Woo! Spicy. This is one that when it came through... Me and Clarkie started messaging each other about it because we usually answer these off the cuff, but we've started putting research into some of these questions because they're good questions and they deserve a, a well-researched answer. Supercoach Mama has sent through a question asking, which team has the best song putting bias aside? Now, Clarky, I know you've got a whole tier list devoted to this. That's right. I made a tier list and I even made my own rules for the tier list. Uh, they're not long, but they're well thought out and I have made the tier and determined which is the best team song objectively. I'm going to get my answer out of the way because mine's nice, quick, easy. I'm going to not pick my own side. I'm, I'm going to say that I'm, I've, I'm only picking out of the 17 other sides, so I haven't even considered the Dockers song. Which team has the best song? I'm going to say Sydney. No. And that is purely, purely for reasons, purely for personal reasons, I would say, because... When I was a junior footballer, we had a football song for our club and the song literally just changed the words out of, out from Sydney and Swans and red and white to our own team colors, our own team names. So I know the words to the Sydney song as well as I know the words to the Dockers song and Everlong by the Foo Fighters and Tribute by Tenacious D. <laughs> all great so actually that's uh that's really sweet and i apologize for making mocking early on that one that should have that's actually a really sweet story but look it's it's no match for research feelings are no match for research demo and as we sit here today uh how long have i got on this on this podcast all right so everybody sit down and get buckled in i have painstakingly listen to all 18 club songs, including my own. Now, the one rule I made was that Melbourne, I love them. Love the song. I think it's a great song. It has a really good trumpet interlude. Fun to sing. I have put it at the average tier just because I'm not putting it further up or down because I can't say it's bad because I don't want to be self-deprecating. Can't say it's the best because it's my team. So it is gone at the very middle of my scale here. Um, but look, we run from awesome to good to eh to bad. There are only four songs that made it into the awesome tier. And that is Frio Dockers, The Giants, Carlton, and Richmond. Those are the four optimal team songs. Fun to sing, highly powerful music, absolute bops. I'm kind of speechless at those four being the ones that you think are the best. I 
Yeah, I don't know. I I wouldn't have those four in my, at the top of my list. I controversially don't actually enjoy the Dockers song as much as other faithful. Um, and we had the chance to change it and we chose to stick with the majority of votes chose to stick with the current version as it is. Well, and well, so look, I mean, I'll, I'll say it objectively. I don't think any team song is absolute garbage. I think when you compare them all, some are better and some are worse. So I think those four out of the, um, out of the, all of the ones that we listened to, uh, we being, I, I dragged my wife into assist me with this out of all of them. Those were the four that really stuck out as absolute bops. I just like got into them. Good team feeling, great lyrics, great music. Um, so I did make a few notes here, uh, before I go into the final verdict, uh, for Carlton, my notes, uh, from what my research said, just go da, 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 uh, which I think was enough. Um, it just, it just keeps going. Um, although it, it maybe should have minus points for potential racism. Um, but we're not touching on that. (laughs) Damo, you were not ready for this. Uh, Frio, rock and guitar, pure power intro, and it's straight in, no messing around. Three things I loved about it. Just good times. Uh, Giants, big, big sound, and that oompa, absolute bop. Like, it's just start to finish, a bop. We can't, can't dispute that. And Richmond has an undeniable presence to it, and I think that probably might be jaded a little bit by the current powerhouse that is the Richmond fan base. But there's something special about hearing yellow and black in a stadium, even if you're on a losing end. There's something that's just like, that's a footy moment. And the winner was uh, the Frio Dockers because I made my wife choose which one was the best out of those four. You're welcome. We answered it. That's the answer. So, so I said Sydney, and I probably didn't put bias aside at all when I picked Sydney. <laughs> In retrospect, and no. If I put bias aside, I actually think one of the best best club songs is actually the one from the Western Bulldogs. So I guess I'm going to say Western Bulldogs and Sydney are tied for the best for me. <laughs> uh, Western Bulldogs ranked uh, at low end of Ech tier for me. Did not dig I it. Guess, the three worst club I, songs I guess for it, anyone asking. I guess it also. I guess it also comes into our own music tastes as well. Yeah, look, I think you can tell from the four that I will just listen to absolutely anything. Uh, but in case anyone's wondering, the three worst club songs are "The Saints Go Marching In" because it's lazy and there's no effort. You just change like three words. Put actually try uh, number two, Gold Coast Suns. Um. Look, out of Coast have, have a club song. They have a club song and it's not very good. However, I will give them plus points for the trumpet that plays every time they kick a goal at a home game. That's that's on point. And Brisbane. Brisbane only has one verse that repeats and it's just boring. All right. And that is it for this week's episode of Jock Mailbag. Join us next week when Clarky is outnumbered by Damos because Damo from Supercoach Edge will be joining us as well. Clarky, 
better change your name in in between so you don't feel left out. I'll be Damo. I'm sorry if I Damo, offend. Damo, and the man formerly known as Clarky, Damo. <laughs> Apologies in advance if I offended anyone's team. We love you. Thank you for the questions.